0: Hey, everyone. Have you been enjoying this series? If so, there's something really simple you can do to help us. Go on Apple Podcasts or whatever app you've been using to listen to the show and leave us a nice comment and a good star rating. It just takes a minute, and it will do wonders for helping new people discover the series. So, thanks a lot, and on with the show.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Newberry Report, where grown women read children's books and argue about them. On today's episode, A Single Shard by Linda Sue Park. hello and welcome to the Newberry Report. I as always am Carrie Caston. and with me as always is Carolyn Burns. hello Carolyn. Hello Carrie. And we have a guest with us today. What? This is so exciting. <gasps> Gina say hi to the lovely people. This is Gina. Hi Yay <laughs> Woo-hoo! That is a third voice
2: <laughs> Great and today we're discussing a single shard by Linda Sue Park. It's very exciting. I've never done anything like this before. Oh really? So, yeah is this your first podcast? My very first. Do you listen to any? I do. I do. What do you listen to? You can plug them a few. uh On Being is oh, one of them. Oh, that's such a
1: good one. I recently got back into it after yeah. a break. Um, great. So we're going to talk about a single shard today. This is the 2002 winner. Carolyn, do you mind uh, treating us to a back-of-the-book reading? Yeah, of course. Uh, tree Ear, that's the name of our character, Tree
3: Ear has a dream He has watched the master potter Min take a lump of clay and shape it into a thing of beauty. For Tree Ear, the transformation is a miracle. Someday he wants to perform such a miracle himself. But you cannot just walk up to a master potter and ask him to teach you to his craft, especially not if you're an orphan like Tree Ear. First, Tree Ear must prove he is worthy of Min's time and teachings, so he asks the honorable master if he can work for him without pay for the privilege of being near such talent. Tree Ear has taken his first step toward his dream. Realizing a dream can be very hard, though. Sometimes a dream can seem so far away it almost disappears. But maybe if Tree Ear takes it one hill, one valley, one day at a time, just maybe he'll be able to make his dream come true.
1: Wow, that's one of our... Longer back of the books, I would say.
3: Yeah, it is, and it doesn't really tell you much about the plot. I guess. I guess now knowing the plot of the book, I I recognize what it's talking about elements of the plot. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, uh huh. But it well because it's true. You know, the plot wise, there's not like a ton of action that go, that takes place in this novel. It's more sort of like him kind of learning a craft slowly but surely and coming to the term coming to terms with who he is and where he is in the world and what he means in, like, a grander sense.
1: <laughs> Gina, we'll get to what you thought of the book in a second, but do, do you have a philosophy on back-of-the-book reading? Are you very pro, very
2: anti? I would say I'm anti because oh. it tends to uh, give me uh, a totally different take on what actually happens in the book, and then I, I, I have an opinion when I actually haven't read the book, so I, don't, I tend not to read the back of the book.
1: That's that's how Carolyn.
2: That's feels how to,
3: I am. Yeah. I hate the back of the book, <laughs> yeah.
2: but I read it. That's why I
3: said I, I thought I might not like it because I read the back of the book before I read this, and I was like, oh, I don't know. What's this tree ear name,
1: <laughs> which you don't normally do? I think. Yeah. Well, I
3: figured I'd give it a shot, and I proved I, I proved myself right. <laughs> yeah. Forget it. No more back of the books.
1: <laughs> Carolyn Burns, did you like it?
3: I liked it. You did. I did. You did? Yeah. <laughs> I liked it a lot. I thought, I thought I might not because I, I, I wasn't sure just based on sort of like the back of book reading of it being like um, set so long ago in like a completely different culture in like talking about pottery. And I was like, Ugh, okay, the, the picture on the front is just a big, like kind of shapeless urn. And I was like, I don't know, but I
2: really liked it. But do you know, what did you think? Did you like oh, it? I loved it. I, um, I cried. I laughed. Yeah, I I totally fell in love with the book, and you've read it multiple times, right? Well, actually, I got it for my kids, so my kids oh. have read it, my husband has read it, and I didn't read it with them. So this is my first time reading it. Oh, but wow. I've had the book for like two years. That's great. Yeah.
1: Oh, good. Well, I'm so glad you loved it, and I'm so glad you liked it. I did not love it. <laughs> no, Carrie. Okay! I know. I know. Oh, I felt so bad, and I. But what? I know. I. <laughs> I don't know. I I think it was we uh, I I try not to compare books too often, but it reminded me a lot of sounder and sort Mm. of the more the more uh, like mythologicalness it had about it. Mm -hmm. It felt a little more bare bones, a little bit more like a parable than it did like a story. That Mm -hmm. said, it did. There were times where it really kicked me in the face and I was very upset (laughs) Uh, and I was surprised at how um, upset I was uh, during the more like emotional plot points, which we'll get mm-hmm. to when we start to cover the book. But um, but sort of the overall framework of it, I felt hard to hard to connect. Mm-hmm. It felt a little too, um, yeah, more like like the Odyssey or something where, like, I don't really – I guess maybe it's just because, like, we learn to study Ulysses, like, in – or the Odyssey in, in school. And I'm like, oh, Ulysses is just, like, a character that does a thing. Like, uh, sometimes you think of, like, characters from the Bible and stuff or just, oh, this is a figure – I don't know. I
3: had trouble. I had trouble. Do you think you just somehow, on some level, knew before we talked that I would like it <laughs> and just knew that your role in this podcast apparently yes. is to always disagree Completely with me? Completely disagree
1: with you. No, I thought maybe you wouldn't like it. And I'd be like, oh, we're going to agree about this. No. no, well, that's why i have Gina here. <laughs> we are, it's, it's two against one yes. now. <laughs> I'm outnumbered. Uh,
2: well, great. I would love to be convinced. Thoughts? Yeah, I think, you know, the thing that I got from this book was this tremendous sense of peace and tranquility. Mm. And I feel like maybe perhaps that's why it was chosen because it was such such an opposite um opposite of the violence and, and you know the tumult or yeah, yeah, upheaval
1: totally. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So I don't know if that was like the the reaction that they had.
1: That's super true. There is a lot of um patience and simplicity about this book that I did, because like I was telling you guys before we started, have been working 12 to 14 hour days for the last like six weeks. And I was like, can you imagine a time where you didn't have a cell phone and you could like get an email at like nine o'clock on a Saturday about something that needs to happen, which was like what happened to me yesterday. And I was like, what a great time
2: this was. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I loved about the book, the simplicity, the simplicity of the language and the simplicity of her, her message. You know, how uh, there's this awesome line that she has um, How could foolishness and pride be such close companions? Uh. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I like, I like, slow clapped to, my, to myself <laughs> at that time in the book because I was like, You men are so frustrating. Yes. As yep. a man and as a person. And I just, I wanted so badly to just slap some sense into him, but I do know so many people. Are, have that pridefulness that really mm-hmm. can
2: hold you back if you're not careful. Yeah, but I feel like that, like lines like that are so simple yet so powerful, mm-hmm. and I feel like that's why I love this book because everything, like like the like the vase, mm-hmm. like the pottery, simple yet there is um, a strong sense of meaning. Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely.
3: Yeah. I think it's I for me it's it's such an interesting read because it I think Okay, stick with me for a second. <laughs> As adults living in New York City, I think that all of us to some extent however we want practice some form of mindfulness, whether it's like true sort of um What's it called? Me- uh, truly, like med- its taking time to meditate or to sleep or to read or whatever. <laughs> however, you do it, I think it's—it's it's just it's sleep. Really, <laughs> mindfulness. It's very for me. It is. It does take mindfulness <laughs> to fall asleep and to stay asleep. Yes, That's so true. That's true. But I think like it's so ingrained to be sort of aware of yourself and your surroundings and and sort of your inner life. Um, and this book really taps into that, but it's it's intended for children mm-hmm. and I think that that's really interesting that this generation that's growing up in these like like you said you know maybe eight nine, ten year old children that are reading this are not practicing mindfulness so they don't really have a gauge for what that is and how to incorporate that into their lives. but I think like it it's so, nice to see someone just be like, hey, kids, let's sit down and just really explain step by step how a pot is made instead of like, here, it's your juice. It's in a mug. Don't think about where the <laughs> mug came from. It just exists. You know, uh, That's something I really liked. I was like, I wonder what it would be like to be a child and to read this. And if they are getting sort of like, a wow, where do the things around me come from experience? Or if they're just like, oh, this is like science fiction and nothing in this is real. <laughs>
1: Yeah, there were a couple of things that did resonate with me really deeply um, at this age that I thought were really articulate. Um, like uh, in chapter three, there's the um, he's start um, treeer has started to work with men, um, so it's like day two of working with men, and day one, all he's done is send him up into the woods and say, get a whole bunch of wood, bring it down. Um, which we find out later is because it's Min's turn <laughs> to collect wood, and he's now outsourced it to um, to Tree Ear. So Tree Ear comes back the next day, and he's been yelled at by Min because he didn't do he didn't bring the wood to the kiln like he was supposed to. Um, which, of course, uh, classic bad manager. Min didn't tell him to do that, so um, Min is yelling at him. And then finally, Min paused to draw breath. Tree Ear dare not look up. He felt like a beast with two heads, one ashamed and the other resentful, ashamed that he had not finished the work properly, resentful that Min had not given him complete instructions. Fill the cart. That had been the order, and he had done it. Was he expected to read Min's mind as well? How many bosses have I had (laughs) (laughs) that are just like that? And to explain it as um, a beast with two heads, one resentful, one ashamed, I was like, yeah, I feel both those things so intently anytime Mm -hmm. this happens to me. (laughs)
3: No, I I sort of mentally highlighted that passage too cuz I thought it was interesting and I think that this kid um I don't know if it's if it's just a difference in like how you're raised and how you're expected to get along with like adults and with people in charge. But this kid just is really good about letting things just like blow off his back. And he's Mm -hmm. just like, oh, silly me. I got to work harder. And I can understand coming from a place of such extreme poverty and having no chances that the chance to toil for 14 hours a day, loading and chopping and carrying wood and cracking open blisters and getting hurt, all uh, also that you can have one single meal that day is like a dream come true for him. And I think it's really interesting. And it's, it's definitely sort of like uh, be thankful for what you have, you know.
1: <laughs> I guess that said, I just I think he's a little more uh, self-aware than I am even or that I was up to like maybe three years ago. <laughs> I think I'm better now. But um, to sort of continue on this this path of like bad upper management or having to manage up, I guess. <laughs> Great, so he's now, he's graduated, now Tree Ear has graduated from wood, and now he's gathering clay. Um, And he has to rinse the clay, we go through this whole process of collecting it, which takes uh, a certain amount of skill, and then uh, rinsing it, which is a different skill, and Tree Ear is learning these skills as quickly as possible, but he has never done this before. And Min has yelled at him once again, and he did not know why Min did not explain things more fully. Tree tree Ear's mistakes often cost valuable time or wasted valuable clay. Then Min would shout or scold while Tree Ear stared at his toes in shame and more often than not, resentment. And I'm not sure if Tree Ear makes this observation or if uh, Linda Sue Park is making this observation, but that Min not explaining things was uh, cost valuable time and a waste of clay. (laughs) (laughs) I work at a law firm part-time and I think that all the time. I'm like if you just told me what to do, we would waste a lot less time and a lot less paper if you had just been like articulate the first time. <sighs> No one else has problems with work. Everyone feels great. I think it. Linda Sue Park has problems with work. <laughs> That's true. I was looking her up, and she um, worked for uh, an oil company, I guess, for two years, like, in their uh, copywriting department. Mm. And she, it, this is, like, in her bio on her website. And she said, like, she learned how to
2: make any topic interesting, well, almost any. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, I know, like, um, in the... Confucian communication or even uh, Korean communication is very roundabout. It's never direct. Oh, really? And that is like a well-known problem uh, of our culture, of our heritage. <laughs> that is just – you just go in circles and you never directly say exactly what you're meaning or what you're intending to say. Do you um, know why that is or where that comes from? Um, I, I don't know. Uh, I think it's because it is out of respect. mm it's a very reverent, you know, reverential. Is that? Does is that? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Is that word. Um, and because Min is older, and is his teacher in essence, um, Tree uh, tre- Ear can't ask questions. He Got can't it. clarify. Yeah. So, anyway. No,
1: that's that's really interesting. That explains a lot of how Crane Man talks to him too. Um, I think, doesn't Trier at some point say um, he likes to take in what Crane Man says and sort of like mull on it over the course of the day? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I noticed that Crane Man in particular spoke slightly more in what I would call Proverbs than I think. Yeah,
2: he was definitely a storyteller. Yeah, definitely.
1: This is sort of the moment I knew that Crane Man was going to die. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> was <laughs> <no>. <laughs> Was uh, when Trier had his own sort of proverbial thought on his own by himself and he was like oh I'll have to talk to crane man about that when I get back and I was like uh oh mm. <laughs> crane man ain't gonna be there when you get back <laughs> and it was when he was hiding from the fox yeah tree Year thought we are afraid of things we do not know just because we do not know them uh tree year thought pleased with himself he must remember the idea crane man would be interested in discussing it and I was like that's a really good thought kid that means you've moved on, <laughs> like in the in the novel world. That means you've moved on past your uh, paternal figure, mm-hmm. and he's going to go. He. It was just so interesting the like fear that he exhibited, and I think in the author's note at the end, she says that that's something akin to the way that bats were described. Mm-hmm. Um, like people have all this, all of these like vampire and you know um, gothic. Uh, scary stories that are that originate from bats, even though it's a fairly harmless animal. Mm-hmm. Um, but the first time that. Um that Crane man talks about a fox, like we see tree ear being like that, like covering his ears. Yeah. <laughs> like don't talk about it anymore. don't talk about it anymore. which I thought was so funny. Yeah, or not funny, so so different than what I would have expected. I think it's so funny because when so in
3: towards the end when he's on this journey and he's sleeping in the woods at night and it's super dark and he hears an animal rustling. and he his number one fear is a fox. and I'm reading it being like, your number one fear should be like hungry mountain lions. Like, yeah. But it's so funny because, like, when it turns out to be the fox, to me, I'm like, "Oh, whew, he's gonna be fine," and to him, he's like, "This is literally <laughs> the worst thing that could possibly have come from the woods. I am guaranteed to die." And it was really, it was a funny, like, time in the book because I'm like, "I know you're going to be okay," but his fear is so palpable, and he's so um, just over like consumed with this like irrational idea that the fox is going to like teleport him to a layer and then like rip his bones apart if he looks into his eyeballs. It was just really interesting. I'm not trying to like belittle uh any any feelings are real. We, we appreciate feelings. feelings, we respect feelings. I don't want to belittle it or anything like that, but it is it read very silly because it's not a current fear. You know, we read in um Bud, Not Buddy, he gets trapped in a shed and he's genuinely worried about vampire bats. Mm. And I was like, that is still, even though I know a vampire bat is not going to come down and suck his blood, that is still currently something that people out in the world like still have a gauge for that being a terrifying right. thing. And I was like, I've never met anyone who thinks foxes are literally going to suck out your soul or <laughs> hear all of these yeah. things. So it, it read as this like, sort of funny moment, even though it, it obviously was not intending to be that way.
1: Yeah, you're sort of making the author's point, though, because she did say it's like akin to people fear of bats so yeah I guess it's just an illustration of something that feels foreign
2: mm-hmm. but uh, there were two points um, when he when Tree Ear was working with sorry when was working with um, the clay and just asking the clay to speak to him yeah you know and he was kind of losing uh, a sense of um, self-awareness or self-consciousness yeah and just allowing the clay to speak to him and that's a, that was one point where I just fell in love with this book because I feel like with any form of art, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is, like I feel like teaching is a form of art. Like I have to be, I have to lose my self consciousness in order for for me to be a great teacher, mm-hmm. you know. So I just felt like that was a really great illustration of art.
1: What do you mean? Uh, you feel like you need to lose your self consciousness? Um,
2: self consciousness, as in um, not being uh, insecure. Um, not thinking about how am I looking to others, just really being in the moment and really going with the flow of everything, yeah, you
1: know? yeah, so. yeah, I thought there it's definitely a crystallizing moment for him the f- the first time he realizes that the clay is not ready, and he needs to rinse it or drain it a couple more times. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was really happy for him. <laughs> <laughs> it's like all he wanted was to know how many times to rinse out the clay, and then it told him. Yeah. Um, I was a little frustrated that we didn't figure out what, what, the, what the process was, but I guess the process is just hard work. Um, you do it enough times, and then you sort of find it, which suggests that it's not an innate ability that Min was born with as a potter, but one that he spent a long, long time. We're told at least a year and a half, right, that he works, uh, he works with Min. Um, mm-hmm. To figure out even the right amount of time to rinse out the clay <laughs> before you can use it, so I thought that was nice. Um, showing like hard work does pay off, but you have to work hard first. Yeah. As opposed to like, I feel like there are a number of kids' books, uh, sorry, Harry Potter, where like they have this innate ability already, and it's like, well, what do mm. you, what, what are we supposed to work for, us normies? Like, <laughs> either we got it or we don't. Seems to be what you're saying, but. Um, yeah, if you just work hard enough, you'll be able to hear the clay. So that was nice. <laughs> yeah.
3: I mean, I think it's always like a little bit of both. You, either you have to have some sort of – you have to have some level of talent and some level of luck – and then some level of uh, just like learning and then and like really perfecting your craft. And it's why there are people that like will they'll work their entire lives, but they'll never be like really good actors. But then there are people that are like super talented right off the bat that'll never be really good because they're not like taking the time and, pre- and patience and practice to like hone their skill. So it's, it's a little bit of, of both. Where do you see yourself, Carolyn, on
1: that spectrum? I'm a brilliant actress <laughs> who's never gonna really make it or? Yep, never
3: gonna make it. <laughs> I've never been to an audition. <laughs> it's really hard to get the part that way. I'm waiting for the someone to come up to me and discover me in the park. Yeah, or or at the vet's
1: office. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. You and the scrubs. Get in my movie. <laughs> Should we talk about the scene with the robbers? Do we want to go there? Yeah. Sure. That heartbreaking, awful, awful scene.
3: Why'd they do it? They're jerks. I don't yeah. know. It did feel very petty just to to rob him. I liked though, that they didn't steal it. Um, like just be I, I know that seems strange. and i I gotta say I felt immediately stupid. As soon as they were starting to walk away and I was like, maybe the putts are going to make it. And then obviously they crashed. And then obviously the book is called A Single <laughs> yeah. Shard. And I like, was like, I can't believe I didn't see this coming. That's on me. Um, but... <laughs> that means I did it well. It did the job
1: of the play.
2: Of or the well. I'm just
3: I'm not practicing enough mindfulness. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I I was very fearful that they were going to steal them, and I liked that it wasn't that simple, that they were just like, oh, no, no one would buy it from us because this is obviously stolen goods, you know.
1: I, I like that it, it addressed that. I, too, was like, why don't I just steal it? Why don't I just steal it and sell it? But that they could tell that it was a gift for the palace. Mm-hmm. Like, it's interesting that there isn't uh, a black market at this time, I guess.
3: yeah.
2: Not in these small little villages, I guess. Yeah, I guess who would the buyers be? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. You know, this is where I cried a little bit. Um, like all that hard work, all that hard work, just, just you know, disappearing. And um, but, I thought it was a really cool way to set up how much respect the emissary Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. and how
2: well-known Min was. Yeah. I just thought that was really cool how he's like, oh, I I just took a single look at the shard and I knew exactly of his talents and his abilities.
1: Right, that he could tell enough from that, that like what he had seen already plus the tiny bit of inlay, which I had to like Google so many things reading
2: this. Yeah, I still don't know what inlay is.
1: I can show you a picture of it, but all the pictures look different, so I'm not actually sure. (laughs) what it means but yeah
2: the the it's just
1: when you carve out a
3: a, a, like a chunk of it like it's like a relief you carve out and then you fill it in with a different material but then it's like a it's just like a flat surface
1: that doesn't that doesn't help (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) um oh how did you feel about the fact that crane man told him to go up there and he wouldn't have gone up onto that plateau or that cliff if Crane man, like hadn't told him the story and said, "You have to stop here because we even have the line where he says that he would have preferred to just continue on. um, but he wanted to be able to tell Crane man about this.
2: i I might even say Crane man knew that he would experience something like this, you know? I think I, I think of Crane man as his like, kind of godlike person who knows all. Yeah, yeah. And I think he knew that this would be a a really important lesson Mm. for Tree Ear, perhaps. I don't know. It just was a lot.
1: (laughs) It was a a huge experience. And it felt so... Um, I didn't see it coming. I totally didn't see it coming, and I was very upset. I, was, I guess I should have realized that I was being lulled into a false sense of security. I was like, this is going great. Well, yeah, because <laughs> there's no other conflict in the entire book. Of course, you're like, right, no, yeah. he's just going to do the journey. We're going <laughs> to see some trees. He's going to do it fine, and then we're going to go home. There's going to be a fox. He's going to be hungry. It's going to be hard. <laughs> but not that they're going to, like— take the pack, realize that they can't steal it or sell it, so they're just going to chuck it off the side of this cliff.
2: And they were laughing, weren't they? They Mm -hmm. were laughing gleefully or something? Yeah.
1: Yeah.
3: They did it just for the the love of being bullies. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Did it upset anyone that in the end it— they could have just shown the embassy guy a shard of like – because he – remember when – he so he broke the original pots that, that had had that oxida, oxidizing process where they had those brown spots on them and he was mm-hmm. like – we could have just shown him those. He would have understood because he knows that, like, oh, that was a kiln mishap, but look at the artwork and I can see that you would be able to do this. Uh, and how frustrated Tree was because he's like, ugh, just show him that. Like, it seems so silly. And then in the end, that's what he does. He still doesn't show him a completed pot. And it's just like, see? It felt almost, like, aggressive. Like, semen, <laughs> see? <laughs> All you need is a shard. Just trust me.
1: <laughs> yeah, it felt like... Um you know, the Wizard of Oz, like, Dorothy could have gone home the whole time. She just had to find out, you know. I, I think uh, he knew, he had a theory that the emissary would totally trust a shard, but he had to, <laughs> to be robbed and have the faces thrown off the side of the cliff in order to to find out for, he had to be courageous enough
2: to show him the shard, I guess. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I felt like he had to make the journey, and I think that's, like, the whole process of pottery and Uh, You know, the clay and kind of having to go through the process rather than um, just coming up with the product.
1: Yeah. Did it make anybody want to take a pottery class? (laughs) No, it sounded (laughs) tedious and awful. More about a single shard in just a minute.
0: If you're enjoying this show, you might also like some of the other podcasts on Race Car Radio. For instance, you might try Mind Your Own Business with Mike and Matt. Do you own or run your own company? I'm a small business owner, and let me tell you, it's a lot harder than I thought it would be. But never fear, we're here to help. On Mind Your Own Business, Mike Gansel and Matt Plosiak, two brilliant consultants with decades of experience between them, take real questions from real small business owners and give them answers that help put them on the track to success. It's smart, funny, informative, and we promise it will help you make your company the best it can be. Listen and subscribe now to Mind Your Own Business with Mike and Matt at RaceCarRadio.com. RaceCar Radio is proud to support the work of IO Worldwide, a tenacious and dedicated organization working to address the root causes of poverty in West Africa because they believe that who a person is and where they come from should not solely determine what they are able to achieve. To learn about their work and how you can support it, please visit ayaworldwide.org.
2: And now, back to A Single Shard. The crux of this book is uh, the message of kindness and... um but you were saying you know is he going to find his family but i think in the korean culture not having a family is seen as i mean in all cultures not having a family is seen as something that is so taboo you know and so um it's not even part of your life you don't even talk about it you don't you know there's such shame behind it mm. um that i thought the 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 power to create their own kinship, you know, was really powerful for me. Like, because I know it's so hard. Yeah. You know. Um. Totally.
1: Especially because they they say that. So I, I didn't I didn't know that, but it was like the author's note has, um, you know, there that the there's a tradition to take in uh, family.
2: Right. Right. Um,
1: and that so crane man and uh, and tree ear would be sort of anomalies in yeah. their time. Um, and anytime she says, but um, it's not his fault. Like he was two, I think it says when his parents died because of a, a fever. I so I guess is it weird that his he must he should have had aunts and uncles to take him
2: in, or he should have had somebody, yeah, you know. But but he had nobody, um, just the same as Crane Man. Yeah. He should have had somebody, some long lost, you know, relative who was whatever second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth mm. cousin, yeah, but.
3: Oh, it's interesting to think then that Crane Man allowed him to stay, you know, because the original plan was they dropped him off because there was a fever up at the monastery. So he couldn't go up and live with the monks. And when they came for him, Tree Ear would not leave. He was like, this is my home now. A small child is like, this is my home. He wouldn't let go of his of Crane Man's legs. Um, but you would think that Crane Man understanding the culture in which they live would be like, you have to go. Like, I am not your family. We don't hmm. like you need to go live uh, a life that you might be able to have more success, and it, it felt, in retrospect, a little bit selfish of him as a mm. character, as someone who is so open and really wants treat like the best that for Tree Ear to allow him to live there felt a little bit mm, like I. It, it was an unbelievable portion of the book mm. because he, he felt as a character like he would have understood that the best thing for that child would be to go live with the monks so he could have like a shot at having a real life. Mm. Because this whole pottery thing, that's something that he does on his own, completely um, independent of Crane Man.
2: Well, actually, that's a good point. I think that was selfish. Like now that you yeah. bring that up, I think that was very selfish of Crane Man to just keep him for himself because he enjoyed his company or – yeah, I didn't think about that. Yeah.
1: I don't know. It's, he's so sad and lonely. And I get If yeah. there's a small child that won't, you know, like, won't let go of your leg. I don't know. I melt. I melt when kids do it. I'm just like, yes, mm. like, here's all of the chocolate that I have. I don't know. <laughs> like, if a kid was like, I don't want to go, I'd be like, you never have to leave. Stay here forever. So I don't know. And he, I wonder if, too, because he didn't go up, um, Crane Man didn't go up to the monastery. Mm-hmm. And he's like... I just didn't make it and sort of like read the uh, that as a sign for himself that the fox crossed his path. And he's like, I'm just not going to make it up there. And I wonder if he felt some sort of similar kinship to you didn't make it up there either. And there's mm-hmm. a reason we didn't. And mm-hmm. yeah. if you don't want to go, I'm going to trust your little two-year-old judgment <laughs> <laughs> and respect your choice. Sure. Hmm. What do
3: you guys think about literally the last sentence of the book. (laughs) So Um, so the ending... Oh, go ahead.
1: Well, which last sentence do you mean? The sort of like mini uh, italicized epilogue thing? The mini italicized
3: epilogue. So the book ends with... uh, you know, Tree Ear is like going off into the woods. He's excited. He's going to get his own pottery wheel. He has a new family. Everything's great. And then there's this tiny little epilogue that sort of talks about there's this certain vase that's the most prized of Korea's uh, cultural treasures. Um, and then it goes on to say, it is called the Thousand Cranes vase. Its maker is unknown. And the book ends with Tree Ear looking up at the sky being like, gosh, I can't wait till I'm a potter. What am I going to make? Hmm, something maybe with cranes on it. And then they say that, which is a real vase you can go go listeners google it. It's it's beautiful. Um, but the the intended implication is that it is Tree Year's vase, which is historically impossible to know. So it's sort of like this I I don't know, I'm curious how you guys felt about
1: that. Um, there's another book, I don't mm. I don't remember if it's a Newbery Award winner. So I'm, there's another book uh, called The Second Mrs. Giaconda uh, or Giaconda. I'm not sure how one pronounces it in Italian. But um, it's written by E.L. Coningsberg, and it's about how the Mona Lisa came about. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's it's this is just um, this is historical fiction. It's sort of a new uh, we haven't read any books exactly like this so far, I think, and um, that's just something I um, suspend my disbelief for. Like, basically, she must have at some point been inspired to tell a story around about this time, found this face, and imagined a person that would have created it.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, it really helps It helps put the story, uh, gives me a visual. I, I, I love having visuals, and I, and I love the fact that it actually exists, and... Um, so it helped me kind of um, connect more.
1: Yeah. Is that it on the cover? It's not.
2: What? Uh, yeah. That, I just assumed
3: that was it. The every, <laughs> as you probably rightfully should assume. No. Um, so the cover that we all have the same um, edition of this book and it's got a vase on it that has – Cranes in circles, but um, I, I implore you to look at the real one. Oh. It's similar. The cranes in circles are similar, but they're much, much closer together. And between are just these little whiffs of clouds. And then there are cranes sort of like flying throughout the whiffs of clouds. Um, so it's, it's similar, but even the one on the front has these cracks in it, to, I guess, to, rep- to represent uh, like a face being blown apart. Oh, We're all looking at the picture. Wow. Now. <laughs> no, this
2: is much more beautiful. Yeah. yeah, it
3: seemed a strange choice to have huh. it be based on a real vase, but then not have the real
2: vase. Yeah, on it's the also book. a
1: different shape, um, which I had to look this up to the prunus vase. I didn't know what that was. And I guess it's where it's sort of wider at the top than it is at the bottom, but doesn't have a, a neck, really. They don't seem to mostly mm. have necks. And the one on the cover of the book has a neck, which I think is interesting, too. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like a, a weird diversion.
2: Yeah, and the, mm. the one
3: on the book has like sort of like this wide-brimmed opening, and this has this tiny little tapered hole because it's intended only to hold a single branch. And that's sort of—it's right, right. like a bud vase. It's like for one flower, one branch, one thing, and not sort of like for a bouquet, which is this sort of like— almost, like, conical
1: shape of, of the one on the on the book. Yeah, the one on the book is, like, the classic face that you see when it's like, do you see two faces or do you see a vase? <laughs> <laughs> Just to, like, give people a quick vision. Okay, <laughs> okay. Everybody's, everybody's done that, right? Um, yeah. Do you guys like, I like the green. I sort of like had trouble picturing that the whole time because I was, I was reading an ebook, so I didn't have a cover. Mm-hmm. Um, but looking at that picture and then looking at the thousand crane vase,
2: I'm like, oh, that's what that green is. That's so cool. But that vase is not cracked, right? It doesn't have cracks in there? Uh, correct. Uh, I mean, yeah, not, I don't think so. Yeah. Mm-mm. Why?
1: This one oh Yeah, look really closely. You can
3: see. Yeah. Yeah,
2: and that's a different style, isn't yeah,
1: it? Yeah, totally. It's an interesting choice, whoever made the cover of this yeah. book. <laughs> if you want to tell your story on the podcast, just drop us a line. <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: there was an... So, speaking of the title and the it being cracked in the shards, so there's the um first time that the sh- the vases are cracked, right? Where he has the where Tree Ear has the idea to tell the emissary, like, no, no, just look at this. Uh, you'll be able to figure it out. Um, and I definitely was like, is this the single shard? <laughs> but he found there were like a lot of shards, so I was like, can't be. And so, um, I too had that moment when the vases were thrown off the cliff of like, this is it. Just take a single shot. <laughs> <try. laughs> this is the time. Oh man. Uh, another thought I, was, I had about the sort of meditative or, uh, yeah, I guess the meditative nature and the sort of removing of self or the removing of self-consciousness that I had was like, it's so frustrating that the very last part of this process, the firing in the kiln, you can't see, you can't touch. Um, and decides what the piece is going to look like. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking when they were loading the kiln in with, all, with the last batch uh, before the emissary came back, and they're like, he could be here any day, and that the fire takes somewhere between three and five days. So, like, you had to be done with with your um, with actually forming the vase three to five days before the emissary showed up so that you could put it in the kiln and then do nothing. <laughs> For those three to five days. Right. Oh, to, like, have to remove yourself from that part of the process is, I mean, I'm a control freak. I'll, I'll, I'll admit it. And, like, I would I would go crazy. Yeah. I have to let the fire do it? Yeah. Well, Min goes, camps out. He doesn't eat. He doesn't
3: sleep for days. And it's like, this is my entire life's work. And I have lost all control. And there's a very strong possibility it is going to be ruined, <laughs> which it does mm-hmm. uh, end up ruined. And I think it's it's... Telling that you know, like the next time around they're like, we have a little bit more time, we can do this right. They did it in three batches because they're like, now I am able to control this a little bit more. Um, but again, it all just harkens back to like he is a pottery expert, this emissary, like he gets it, he gets it. Just show it to him and 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 say, like, hey, man, next time I'll have be able to, you know do this in a couple more batches, and then he'll be like, cool, great
2: <laughs> Yeah, there's a beautiful um passage. On page fifty-two, they she writes the work. So she's talking about the vase, right? The gentle curves of the vase, its mysterious green color, the sharp angles of the plum twigs. The work of a human, the work of nature, clay from earth, a branch from the sky. And I feel like that is what you're talking about. It's like it's half human work, but then yeah. the ha- ha- you just have to wait. You just have to like let nature run its course or let the fire do its work, mm. and. um, I don't know. I thought that was a really beautiful illustration. Oh my
1: gosh, totally. Yeah, especially the, yeah, just relinquishing of the control and being like, I've done everything I can, world. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Pick up the rest, please. Yeah. Yeah. And the amount of patience that that would take and the amount of selflessness or self-control that that would take to say, I respect and understand that I can't control the entirety of the process and Mm -hmm. I'm willing to continue in this art form. Right. Year after year, knowing that there's nothing that I can do about the last 10 percent and most crucial <laughs> forming part of it. oof. And then in the author's note, she talks about how we know now that it was oxidizing and that um, it had to do with the amount of oxygen in the kiln. And that's why they, they figured out that to a certain extent, because they were trying to uh, cover up all the holes and get it as hot as possible. And now that we've been able to account for the oxidation, we can't get it quite as green or quite mm. as bright as they used to be able to get it. So it's like the trade-off of what you can control um, and what you can't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you do one thing, you know, it affects the way that it comes out. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the dead son. Why? Wow. <laughs> wow. wow. I, I assume that Min was was like he was before when his child was alive. And I assume that he interacted with his child in the same way that he interacts with tri- tree ear um, or did to the extent that he could. It seems like tree ear was is the same age that the son was when the son died. Um, and it made me, of course, like feel so much worse <laughs> for men because like if that's – if you know that that's how you were treating your child and then your child dies and that's it, you only had the one, like – yeah, you'd probably regret a lot of that and not and you have the grief of the life that you won't be able to have, and also the grief of the experience that you've had before not being what you would have wanted it to be because he was presumably treating his child, presumably grooming his child to take over the role. Mm-hmm. And he knew that this sort of tough love approach would be the best
2: mm-hmm. to
1: get him to the sort of potter' state of mind. But now that he knows he's not getting that potter relationship he was just giving him tough love for what ended up being no reason Mm -hmm. so like that would i i can't even imagine how much tougher that would have made him with a new child coming into his life and then when tree asks to uh to learn how to throw to learn how to um work at the wheel and min says no this orphaned one min said slowly If you ever learn to make a pot, it will not be from me. Why, Min repeated, I will tell you why. The potter trade goes from father to son. I had a son once, my son. He is gone now. It is him I would have taught. You are not my son. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right, Min. That, I think, for me, was the... First, really, really tough blow. I mean it's hard to it's hard to compare it to the vases, you know, being thrown off the cliff because it's just such a different experience. Mm-hmm. But that was like a real kick in my chest when Min said that. How did you guys feel?
3: I felt similarly, and I also it uh, I, it was a little bit unbelievable for me the next portion, which is that he uh, treat year did not know that. Um, Because the next sort of chapter goes into, oh, yeah, it's actually kind of a rule that uh, potters can only be from a father-son relationship and no one else is allowed in. I did love that he was – the next page is like – then he realized that all the other potters apprentices were sons. (laughs) Yeah, that (laughs) – there were, like, a couple times in the book that I was like, I don't know about this anymore. Like, it took me out of the story. And that was one of them where I was like, he's a really smart kid. He knows all about these goings-on around town from just, like, searching through people's trash. And yet he's never realized that, like, his one aspiration is literally impossible to him because he's not the son of a potter. That felt like, wait, what? <laughs> um I would have appreciated it more if it was like Tree Ear had realized he had been fooling himself this mm. whole time, you know. But instead, this sort of like ignorance that he had f- rung a little bit untrue. Yeah. I felt like it
2: was false drama. Oh. And it reminds me, it reminded me of like Korean soap operas. I don't know if you've ever no. watched any Korean soap operas. I but will now. <laughs> there is just so much drama. And after a while, you know exactly what's going to happen, but you're still sucked in, you know. Yeah. Um, this is what it reminded me of I that think that's whole. all soap operas <laughs> <laughs> but, but there's a I, I yeah. highly recommend uh, watching a Korean soap opera it's like they have it's own it's own um, characteristic that's very Korean soap opera-ish <laughs> that's I so
1: funny that you, neither of you that other for neither of you guys did that moment resonate and for me that was like the <laughs> deepest most resonant moment <laughs> okay maybe we that's were, why we disagree about yeah, we book. were <laughs> reading different books I guess <laughs> So now on to everybody's favorite section, uh, fan favorite, The Illusion of Life. Um, so we'll find one metaphor or one visual illusion or or one uh, moment in the book that sort of sums up how life works. <laughs> <laughs> Carolyn, do you have one you want to read?
3: I do. I mean, this book is full of them. So lots of words of wisdom. Um, and I think, like, in general, it's it's... A little bit of, like, a coming-of-age story in the sense that he is just, like, learning how the world works and how he fits in it. Um, The one that I highlighted, uh, of which there are a thousand, is very early on. It's on page six. (laughs) Um, And it says, work gives a man dignity. Stealing takes it away. Hmm. And it was right there at the very beginning and it really – and I was like, oh, highlight that. That might end up later. And when I went back and sort of revisited the areas that I had highlighted, I was like, I think that one kind of stuck through the whole novel. It it really – him sort of like cultivating this work ethic and then realizing sort of what the power of
1: really learning a craft is I thought was really important and great. So my illusion was, and this is another one that I felt resonated really deeply for me, but you'll have to tell me, Gina, if it like appears on soap operas or something. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it's, of course, a line from Crane Man, which is, um, I have no gift for you beyond words, he said. I would tell you this, of all the problems you may meet on your journey, it will be people who are the greatest danger. But it will also be people to whom you must turn if you ever are in need of aid. Remember this, my friend, and you'll travel well. All right. I know. <laughs> I know that nothing hurts me more than a person can, and nothing makes me feel better than a person can. But you're right, book. <laughs> that is so true. Um, and I feel like so much how we have to navigate this world.
2: Yeah. Hmm. I have many favorite moments. Um, but one of them is when it's towards the end of the book when he's renamed. Oh, yeah. And that for me, you know, especially because in the Korean tradition, the Korean culture, naming somebody uh, is very important. And it takes – I know that I was named by – my parents took me to a, like a numerologist or a person who looks at the stars or something. And Mm. they looked at all the facts, the the facts of my birth, the circumstances of my birth, and then named me. And my name has a meaning. And I know that uh, the name that he was renamed – has a meaning. I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we're told at least that it's, uh, it's a sil- it shares a syllable with the
1: child that they had before who right, died. Right, right, yeah. Um, and it, I think he says it's an honor only bestowed on a sibling. Yeah. So we're told at least some sense of, of, of a meaning. Do you want to share with us what your name means?
2: Yeah. Uh, well, my Korean name is Po Hyun, which means, Po um, means helping. And then Hyun means wisdom, so helping wisdom, which I I, I really love. I love that And you're a teacher. Yeah. So (laughs) maybe, you know, it all lined up. (laughs) Yeah,
1: that's so nice. That's that's so perfect.
2: So the whole idea of renaming and having the power to create your own kinship, your own family. Because every every person was renamed. Mm. Uh, They renamed—Min's wife asked Tree Ear to call her Ajima. Which is creating more of a family connection. Um, Tree ear was renamed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the the names of Crane Man and Tree ear they were renamed, yeah. Basically, when they met each other, so just the the, the idea of like creating your own family connections, um, whether even if it's not blood, yeah, that you have that power,
1: yeah. To. And and even though Min wasn't like technically renamed he renamed the relationship that he had with tree Ear by telling him that go get this wood for your wheel you'll need a wheel to for me to keep up Yeah. yeah
3: i love the idea i know that in certain um in certain countries still like your name it does like very um strongly relate to like who you are or or you're Mm -hmm. named after something or I think it's like Swedish culture. It's all like very based on like who your parents are and like certain names are passed down every single generation. Um, And it's not like a – it's not like a super um, meaningful in America. I mean people do like are – you know, you take your uh, father's name usually but – Blue Ivy. (laughs) (laughs) these are what we name our children now. But I like the idea of a name actually meaning something. Yeah. Um, and when your life changes and when like you come into new circumstance, then your name should change as well. Mm-hmm. And that's I guess what we do kind of with like marriage in, in, cer- in certain times. People will take on the names. Um, but even that is kind of falling out of favor a little bit more in like the generations that we're in now. So it's, it's interesting to me to, to kind of revisit that and see like how powerful it still can be to someone who doesn't even know what his Given name was right, right. yeah. Yeah. To then be given another one, I can see how like incredibly powerful that would be.
1: Yeah, I think I like how it shows the agency that these characters Mm -hmm. have. It's so nice. Um, What's one thing I like a lot about uh, children's books is like it's there seems to be a huge emphasis on agency of the main character especially among children where children probably don't feel like they have a lot. (laughs) They feel like there are a lot of rules that they're negotiating a lot of the time a lot of learning to conform to different groups that they're hanging out in or or forced to be in and particularly when we get this um, the idea that custom is almost uh, uh, more important than law or more strict than law um, and that they're dealing with this custom of in this particular sense the um, Pottery being uh, handed down from father to son, and that they actually have the the agency and the ability to change or to navigate that system successfully, and not be held um, back by it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that the renaming is a is a tan- well, names aren't tangible, but like a uh, nor are they concrete. Is <laughs> <laughs> sort of a like vocalized way of articulated way mm-hmm. of demonstrating their agency mm-hmm. in that system. Yeah. Oh, it's always nice to have agency.
3: <laughs>
1: Great. So now we should rate this book. Um, I'm going to give this s- six skips of a rock, uh, not just the four that Trier got, but the whole six.
3: That's that... a perfect score. You said you hated this book.
1: I did not say I hated it. <gasps> you can't then go back, Miss you Change your mind. <laughs> I uh, no. Uh, Yes, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of as a success. No, I think it gets all six skips. Absolutely, it worked hard before sinking to the bottom. <laughs> More like uh, unexpected flight, like a bird, hmm. before doing what rocks do. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. All right, <laughs> I'll take it.
3: Um, I'm going to give it a thousand cranes. Oh, vase. <laughs> I really liked it I think it deserved every single one of those cranes Um, I'm curious to count that vase and see how many cranes are on the thousand cranes vase because it's not a thousand
2: (laughs) it seems
1: like it would be a very meditative activity though
3: oh yeah maybe I'll do that tonight yeah
2: (laughs) and Eugenia what would you give it? Um, I would give it a single shard. Oh, Aww. that's so nice. Yeah. <laughs> that's all it takes. <laughs> that's all it takes. A single shard can
1: change your life. Yeah. It can get you a royal commission. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're yeah. good enough. Not, Don't just break vases. It's got to be like a good shard. <laughs> yeah, like a really good one. All right. Thank you so much. That's our show. That's everything that there is to say about a single shard. There's nothing else to discuss. Um, so we did it. <laughs> <laughs> everyone stop talking about this book immediately yeah this is it just print it uh, Carolyn Burns as always thank you so much for for co-hosting the show yeah thank you this is great Gina thank you so much for being our guest today it was
2: such a pleasure to oh, have you thank you for inviting me it was very fun
1: yay I hope your first podcasting experience was a good one
2: yes it was good you guys are very nice <laughs> you're going to be on
1: like uh, Terry Gross's show next week and on <laughs> being the week after you're, you're, you're addicted to it it's a great experience you have experience. opened the doors <laughs> great bye Bye. Oh, bye. (laughs) Yay. Thanks so much for listening. Join the conversation and tell us what you thought about the book on Facebook.com slash Newberry Report. That's N-E-W-B-E-R-Y Report and at Newberry Report on Twitter. And never miss a show by making sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and all your favorite podcast apps. You can also find our show and some other terrific podcasts at www.racecarradio.com. The Newberry Report is hosted and recorded by me, Carrie Kasten. My co-host is Carolyn Burns. And our guest today was Gina Jung. It was edited by Austin Cologne. Our executive producer is David Hoffman. The Newberry Report is a production of Race Car Radio.
0: Race Car Radio is a division of Citizen Race Car. We tell stories.